Hello there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. For as far back as I can remember, poor beagle sharks have been present on the Welsh sea angling scene. Cardigan Bay, for example, was famed for its shark fishing back in the 1970s and 80s, before slipping into almost terminal decline during the mid-1990s. The odd one still occasionally manages to steal a hook pollock out over the wrecks off the Lynn Peninsula, but nobody, it seems, ever bothers fishing for them seriously anymore, until you're round the southern point of Cardigan Bay and start creeping into the Bristol Channel towards Milford Haven. I fished Milford Haven back in 2002 for Pollock, where there was much talk about the potential for the sharks, but nobody, it seemed, was making any real attempt at going out after them. But over recent years, that situation has changed radically, the end result being not only a pathway to catching sharks again in Welsh waters, but also to some of the very best shark fishing in the entire UK, spearheaded by Andrew Alsop of Whitewater Charters, who is sat beside me here today to fill us in on some of the detail. Looking back to the 1960s and 70s, West Country sharking, mainly targeting blue sharks, was also a very big business, though probably more with the holidaymakers than real anglers, which, to keep interest levels high, required bodies to be brought ashore each day and hung up on the quay, presumably to encourage the next round of bookings. And while it might have been the lifeblood of those bookings, at the same time it was also the death knell of the fishing, which very sharply spiralled into decline in terms of both fish numbers and average size. So much so, that when I visited Lou early this year to interview Martin Bray, whose shop took the boat bookings back then, as an angling port, the place was sadly all but finished. Why is it then, do you think, that Milford Haven is able to capitalise where Lou and the other West Country ports are currently failing? I think, in hindsight, we're a little bit fortunate with um, what went wrong, probably, with Lou. Over the years there, when, when the sharks were actually, and you know, don't get me wrong, I, I actually had holidays and I used to enjoy going down with my father years and years ago when I was little and the highlight with the holiday was to see these fish on the side of the quay, you know, and when you were young you didn't realise the problems that it would cause and now over the years we've actually seen what's happened there now with all these fish being killed when they were catching so many fish there. It's had an impact, and I mean, you know, it's not just, I suppose, with what they've done there with bringing the fish in, I suppose, worldwide, with uh, sharks being slaughtered in the way they are, you know, I think now it's very important that with Milford Haven that we, we've seen the downfall of this, and, there are, or, and now fish go back, you know, and, and if we can do and uh, go out fishing and we use the tackle that we use to make sure that the fish are in a better state to go back, you know, um, I think it's going to put Milford in a better position to keep his fishing. You know, that's the main thing. Do you think, then, that the blue shark potential at Milford Haven is better than the West Country? Or is it the same potential share between everybody, the quality of which is improving across the board? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, there's no doubt that in Milford we do push a little bit more distance, so we're trying to get out a bit further southwest. I mean, a lot of people say that the Gulf Stream has moved and the fish have moved there. I don't believe that. I think, um, you know, let's be fair... If you went back to Milford Haven in the 60s and 70s where, you know, uh, Lou was catching a large number of fish, there wasn't even a boat working out of Milford Haven, so you couldn't really gauge if that was true or not. Well, you're in things now that we're, this year is a good year for shark. I mean, I started fishing for shark 97 on a private boat, a small boat with my father, and we were catching lots of sharks back in 97 on a private boat. I think what's happened now, there is a lot more sharks or you're here being caught, but then what's happening, you've got a lot of these more catch reports on these internet sites a lot more people now are, will put their catch reports on back in 97 you know unless it went in a uh, an angling mag which takes months to come out i think it's just more news gets out quicker now and i think that's what it is i don't think it's more and more sharks i think it's more and more people doing it and a way how to catch sharks that's the difference on top of which they're now being targeted for tag and release as opposed to what went on in the past yeah, yeah, I mean, they're all catch and release. No shark is actually, well, not my boat. I, I'm strict, uh, when they book my boat, even if it's a record-breaking fish, the fish got to go back. In Wales, we, they will accept uh, a length of girth ratio to claim a Welsh record. I mean, it does open the door for cheating. You're not going to stop that. But then you know, the, the anglers are just, and, and the skippers just fooling themselves if they want to do go down that road. But it's good for the fish. They go back, and, it, and let's be fair, no one eats sharks. They're not even good eating. So when people say you can eat them or any excuse for that, I, I think that's a load of rubbish. I mean, the sharks for donkey's years were thrown back by skippers years and years ago. It's only now that fish stocks are going down that they'll use something that they can get money for to, to, to try and get in. But I just think that um, just put the fish back and enjoy our sport, really. 
So do you think then that there has been some measure of recovery from damage done in the past by way of a decrease in popularity, say in Cornwall, giving the numbers an average size is a chance to improve? Or is that not a part of how you see it? You know, I've had a little bit of research. I think what's happened at Melbourne, you think we've got something special there, which I do in so many things think, yes, we have. But also, we've got to think in Cornwall, when it's sharking was in its heyday, you know, ports like Falmouth, Lou, you know, all little ports, Mavagetti, Plymouth. There were so many sharking boats working. I think once it went in a decline, it was like it, everything fell apart and sharking just fell to bits. And then I think the wreck fishing came on the scene as well. A lot more people decided to do and they get more chance of catching fish than sitting there waiting for the, the odd shark to come by. So I think what's happened now, I think once it went in a decline, I think it was really difficult for it to come back and... Now, with what's been caught off West Wales and New Year and other areas being caught, I think a lot more pe- people now are starting to do more sharking off the South Coast. I think we'll see more and more sharks being caught over the next few years from the old ports. Whether they're going to be in the same numbers, I can't really sp- speak for myself for that. I don't, I don't know. All I can tell you is that we, we do operate a lot further offshore. So if the other boats started pushing distance, I honestly feel that they would catch a lot more sharks. We've been talking here primarily about blue sharks up to now. So sticking with the blues just for the moment, what would be the typical size and numbers of these fish on your patch? Numbers-wise, I mean, we, we if we took an average, when um, groups phone me, all want to know are they going to desperately catch a shark? So, you know, I don't guarantee nothing is fishing, but normally you, you would say between six to eight sharks on average a trip, blue sharks. Average size between 60 to 80 pounds, I usually tell my groups. Milford does give you a high chance of getting a 100-pounder. You know, we've been on some trip, we've had five fish well over 100-pound in weight. So you, you know, it's nothing rare to see a fish knocking the 150 mark off Milford Haven. But some days then you, you could be struggling to get the 100-pounder. But normally, if you said 60 to 80 pound is your average size fish. And what about your biggest numerical one-day catch? Actually, this season, we had 50 in one day and that was actually amazing. I mean, for the skipper, it was just hard work. It, you know, I don't know if I enjoyed that I, it was more to do with numbers, really. There were just sharks absolutely everywhere. And we had, um, I think, 14 fish went over £110 in weight, up to 167 So it was one of those days, everything, from as soon as we started fishing, the sharks just came instantly. As soon as you dropped the bait over the side, you couldn't even feed it out. There was another shark on the end of a rod. So, And it was like that for the trip. But for the bigger sharks, are there specific areas or approaches that you can rely on to produce these fish? Have you noticed any pattern or predictability to them? Or do they just show up on a fairly regular but indiscriminate basis? The back end of the year is usually a good time for big fish. I think this year our biggest blue shark has been about the 170, about 167. We haven't had anything... Last year we'd had quite a few 170s, 180s, and then we had a British record fish that we we can't claim because the fish had to go back. That was a £222 fish. But back even in 2005, we had a 214-pound fish. We've had five fish now over 200 pounds in weight over the years since we've been doing it. This year, I've noticed that we haven't had such big fish, but plenty of the, the more packed fish around. But, you know, I've got a trip now tomorrow, so I'm hoping um, we, we might see something a little bit bigger tomorrow as the water cools down. I tend to think the bigger fish, the October time is a good time for the, for the bigger fish, you know. So, But, yeah, definitely this year, we've had a little bit of size drop in the really big fish, but... A lot more in numbers this year, more pack fish. When you say pack fish, I tend to think of the size range they would catch off Sir Lou in the 1980s and 90s, where fish of between 20 and 50 pounds became the expected norm. But your definition of pack fish certainly sounds a lot more interesting. Yeah, um, what we call pack fish, they're just in fact it could be up to like the 70 pound mark. So yeah, you, you can get between sort of 40 to 70 pounds, which you know I suppose when you're in other ports that would be quite a, a reasonable sized fish. But because of the, the size of fish we've been used to over the years, especially with the blue sharks off Milford, they've been a little bit down on the size compared to the years gone by, you know, but still good sport, you know, and, and the tackle we use for these fish, now we're only using 20, 30 pound class rods, and you're catching fish over 200 pound on that, you're going to get a good bit of sport on a on a smaller fish, you know, because over the years we've had anglers say, oh, blue sharks don't fight. But the reason they say that, you ask them where they caught them from, and they say, Lou, for instance, they're catching them on 130 pound gear. Well, let's be fair, you, you know, 130 pound gear, you could you could win your 100 pounder in really, when it wouldn't fight. So, you put a, a blue shark on on a 20, 30 class rod, and you get to get to 80 pound in weight. It's going to give you a good good run for your money, you know. And especially with deep water, they can go down and they can go out across. So you can take 300 yards of line at a time on on a, on a 100 pounder. So you you'll have a good bit of sport on stand up gear. 
But it's like everything, you know, you put on the right tackle, they'll, they'll give you a, a good bit of sport. And is the normal pattern holding true of all these bigger fish being females? There's quite a few bits and pieces have been written by, you know, a lot of people saying that uh, they're going to see the first 300 pounds blue shark coming out of our shores. The only thing I'd be a little bit sceptical on that, I mean, this season now we've caught over 400 blue sharks and we've been averaging nearly 300 sharks each season we've been doing it with blues. Just over 95% of the fish caught are all females. Now, the world record blue sharks, it's, it's a bit of a strange scenario, are males. The ones that are called Montauk are all big males. They're not females. Now, females usually top off around 250 to 300 pounds. You very rarely get female bigger than that. It's the males which are the big, the big fish, or the world record fish. Now, people are going to get a bit mixed up with what we've got. Now, we don't get many males. My biggest uh, male fish, and, and, and we've caught thousands of sharks now over the years we've been doing this, is 167 pounds in weight. Now, the reason for this is that they think that nature's got its own way of segregating the, the species, which is the males can be very carnivorous. They will delete the young. And on, on the, uh, the American side of the Atlantic, it's when you get the, uh, the big males, and we get more of the females. Now, I'll be very, very, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but I'd be very sceptical to think that we're going to get a female over 300 pounds in weight. And that is really the, the bulk of our catch, which are a female fish. So it'll be interesting to see what the record will, will be. I think, and that's why the record has stood in lieu for so long, a 218 pound fish. And if you think of all the sharks that were caught out lieu in its heyday, still, there was never a big male to actually compete with that size of fish you know so it'll be interesting to see over the years if we'll ever go over the 300 pound mark with a blue shark because i honestly think that um, with the females we're not going to see it you know sexual separation is one of the questions i had lined up for you later i knew it took place but for some reason in my mind i had it the other way around i'm not for one moment disputing what you say because you're the man catching and seeing all these fish not for the first time in my life i've probably got hold of the wrong end of the stick but just to widen the debate up a little more, looking at the species globally now, what can you add in terms of distribution, maximum sizes or migration patterns coming from the bigger picture, which might have any bearing on the UK? I wouldn't sort of call myself an expert on, on their migration route. I, I've been a bit sceptical about tagging the blue sharks, to be honest, because I used to do a lot of tagging with sharks. I don't do it so much now. Everything's catch and release myself. The only thing I did find with tagging, and what we used to have back with tags was all dead fish. All the data come back from dead fish were caught from down towards the Azores, Spain, and, and, and that direction. And they were all caught on long lines, all dead fish. I think there was one or two that came back from an angler thousands of miles away, maybe. Not sure if it's America where some, a sport angler actually caught it. But the majority of these fish were tagged and were caught by long liners. Now, the only thing I'm, I don't really like is the fact that if, if we were told that tagging these fish would stop commercial fishing for for the sharks and everything but because half these fish are caught by bycatch for other species anyway and if they you know with with all going on with the fin inside of it you start thinking that if the data gets in the wrong hands who are we helping with this you know are we helping the angler or are we helping the commercial fleet that's good at what they're doing anyway and also you're giving a migration route to your fish away anyway because you know you've got a uk tag on there they can look at that uk tag you get and the way, you know, with the, um, with the finning uh, with sharks, and, and it's more and more, I mean, even with my website, I get these emails coming through, catching sharks, you know, pay you so many for your shark fins. It's massive money, now. everything is money. So I, I don't really tag sharks anymore, not that I'm being funny about it, it's just my view is that it's not for me, I'm helping the species, you know. Sometimes I think that where they go and what we don't know, they're saving out the way, and no one else knows. And I think that when we start showing where they go, they've got nowhere to hide or what they do. We just let more and more people fish for them and then we're helping with their extinction. That's, that's my view on it, you know. Certainly something to think about. Now we've touched on population numbers declining over the years around the West Country. But what, if any, trends have you noticed personally out from Milford Haven? More specifically, do both size and numbers appear to be on the increase or is the numerical side to your fishing down to the amount of time you and your parties are putting in? Yeah, I think um, definitely we haven't uh, had a drop. I've been doing it now for since '97, so actually I wasn't doing it as much as you know when I first had it. Was more for a pleasure, so I'm doing more and more trips. But if I went from 2003 onwards, I would say that the the numbers have, have sort of stayed quite steady. We've averaged around 300 blue sharks 
a season. This year, there's no doubts we've caught more. But then, like I said to you earlier on, we're saying about pack, there's been a lot more of these, sort of what we call the pack fish size. So, if anything, yeah, the numbers are holding steady, if not slightly up for this year, So, which is a good sign for us. So, I could see we, we're not having any problems in Lou's had over the years. But then, I've been speaking to one or two skippers this year, and they've said they've had one of their best seasons for a long time. So, in, in general, I think the UK shark fishing for blue sharks is generally up this season, without a shadow of a doubt. A follow-on question from that then is, have blue sharks in your operating area always been as abundant as they are today, perhaps without the fact being fully appreciated, or might it be a factor than extending the range slightly northwards in response to rising sea temperatures? If I was uh, chartering back in 97 and I could have done my own you know, stats, I mean, for what I've done, I was probably quite green on the gills, I suppose, in uh, uh, for the years doing it. But um, I honestly believe that Milford's always had a big number of sharks, we're pushing 20 miles plus offshore. Some of the old-time skippers I knew, um, they were only doing like within the 10-mile range, you know. So maybe when you had such so many sharks in an area that then that would overspill into inshore fishing. And because Milford, you're pushing, you know, I suppose back in the 60s, maybe Milford, you could catch them if there's that many sharks, we don't realise, that they were within eight miles of the coastline. But... Definitely, you need to get over the 15-mile mark to get a good chance of catching a few sharks. But as we're speaking now, I, they're definitely not in a decline on my numbers that I've caught over the last 14 years. You know, If anything, you know, they, they've been holding quite steady, which is good. When we were chatting earlier, you mentioned the fact that Milford used to be a whaling port because of its proximity to the western approaches to the English Channel. That being the case... Why do you think, then, that it hasn't blossomed as an angling venue to the same extent that some of the West Country ports either have or did? Yeah, well, with Milford, if you drew a, an arc round of a 55-mile arc, you could actually fish three different countries, which is uh, Lundy, you know, North Cornwall Way, and, uh, and then you had Ireland, and then you got Wales. So the strike range of Milford, it, it, it's amazing, really. So you can fish the three different countries. If you've got groups of anglers on, they could actually have a choice if you want to go wreck fishing off Ireland or they go wreck fishing on the English coast or wreck fishing off of Wales. I mean, when we're sharking, we're just trying to head towards which what the whaling, as we just as you just seen there, Milford's a whaling port, and it's a gateway straight out to the Atlantic. And there's still big trawlers coming there now, which come in off the Atlantic, you know, and they come in, especially some of the, the Spanish trawlers there, will move in and got their Arctic little lorries because they're coming straight, straight in from... Uh, a direct route so yeah Milford I think the position of Milford is just ideal for what you need for that type especially shark fishing which is to get out into the open water and deep water as well you've got very deep water which blue sharks really do like you know this goes out in 400 foot of water you go out to the Celtic deeps nice drop-offs there which all big game fish do like these drop-off marks you know and again you're pushing towards the big branches of the Gulf Stream that actually break off that come in southwest so yeah I just think it's the when you look at it on a chart and put a chart in front of you and you look at the position of Milford Haven, it's just an ideal place, a shark's dream, really. What then, if any, are the disadvantages which most ports seem to have in one guise or another? <laughs> Weather. As you can imagine, the prevailing winds, so westerly, westerly winds are coming. There's no cover, comes in off the Atlantic. We lose a lot of trips, you know. I mean, I'm, this year alone, I'm down to under 40% of my trips, which... It's a nightmare for us to work as to earn a living. I mean, I, my sole income is, is a charter skipper. And for me, it is hard graft. And the cost of diesel today, you've got to be fully booked. For any young skipper to, to start on Milford now, it's going to be very, very difficult. Not unless you've got a second job and you can use the boat. You've got two jobs and you can, you're fortunate enough to do that. But to actually start today and work Milford Avon, I think it's going to be a very hard area to work. My experience of fishing for blue sharks is one of long, continuous drifts with lots of rubby-dubby out over the 40-fathom line, setting out a series of baits at different depths down to around 60 feet, starting shallowest closest to the boat and deepest further away. What's your approach to fishing for the blues? Yeah, I mean, same same thing really. I mean, we uh, basically set up our chum trail. Uh, we all got our different uh, mixes of chum, but basically, yeah, it's a long drift. We set it up. I fish probably... A very deep bait, uh, one rod, which is very, very deep, which is probably a bit extreme to, to a lot of the shark areas. We even fish a bait which is only 200 foot. We try and get it down there with heavy leads on there, which we do really well on at times. It's, it's a rod that we, I say to the, some of my parties, you fish and forget. You might not get a run on it for ages, but then all of a sudden then you can get something 
you know we've had some big fish on it especially this time of the year now when you're trying to get a bait down into the we got to run a joey mackerel and we, we put a bait down into these um into the joey shoals and uh, it's worked pretty well for big blue sharks get poor beagles as well and d- different things so but basically yeah like you said it's just a long it's a continuous drift it's not particularly with over any reef or anything it's just the hard work that uh, a skipper's got to put into the day to bring the sharks to the boat and i try and fish no more than four rods the reason being is that you can space the rods nicely and if you get a run you can actually keep the other rods in the water rather bring the other rods in all the time which as you probably know it takes quite a long time to set up and on, on lots of occasions you can have two or three fish on and if you work it right because you, you're spaced out nicely you can actually work it quite well with having multiple fish hookups the day we had the 50 continuously we're having three fish on at the same time you've just got to have the anglers aware that they've got to be dragged around the boat in different direction quickly at times and ducking the lines but you know as long as they work as a team and everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet it can be done and it's quite it's quite exciting you know seeing your friend hooked up on the other side of the boat getting dragged one way and there's another lad going the opposite way and it worked really well but the Float wise, we used to use balloons. We tend to stay away. We get problems with formers. I don't know if you see, you know, they can drive you potty at time the seagulls. You put your pot, when we used to use the balloons originally, you set your traces out, it takes you 25 minutes to get out, and then the former pops the furthest one out. And then as you bring that rod in, it tangles all the other gear. So what we've done, we come around, we use the actual little plastic pop bottles, which we find is ideal. The birds can peck on that as much as they like, and it works pretty well. And they're as good as anything. Some people use toilets floats the only problem with those things is they'll crush under pressure because often you're fishing 300 plus of water and if a shark takes it down on a run it'll get crushed pop bottles are probably the best of the lot to be honest um, traces we use sort of 350 pounds uh, 49 strand wire we've got a sort of clip on there so there's all our fish are catch and release as soon as the fish comes in there's a six foot biting trace that we unhook and we can unclip, get the other trace out of the way so they don't, they always tend to want to wrap themselves up on the on the wire and we, we can get that out of the way pretty quick so we could, like, it's a bit like a dog leash then you can just control the fish as well on the deck with it and the hooks we use no more than a tenno zinc plated hook that if it needs to be cut off will perish within a week and uh, we know they don't last long because even in my rig wallets when I've used them for the first week they're in quite a bad way and you, you, you know you're forever renewing your hooks rubber dubby Basically, it's your, your bran, your mackerel, and then whatever mixture the skipper really feels that he's got his own little recipe. I think all skippers got their own ideas, what they want to put in there, and I got my own, and, and I use it, and I'm quite happy with it. So it's more or less the same thing as you probably find off Lou. The only difference with our setup, probably on our traces, is that we use a little bit more lead, because we've probably got the second biggest organic colony in northern Europe of Milford. In the early days, they were hitting the floats and swallowing hooks, which is a horrible thing, because one, they, they're quite a, you know, I'll say a dangerous bird. they got a phenomenal beak on them. And secondly, is you don't want to see these things hooked up. So what we found by putting lead on there, when they went down and grabbed the, the mackerel on the trace, they'd drop it. They knew something went right with it, and they'd actually drop it. And you see, it was quite funny, because they'd come up on the surface, and they'd put their head in and have a look at it, thinking, what the heck's gone on there? Like, you know? And it seems to work. We've never hooked now a gannet up since we've used the, the barrel leads on. It also helps because we've got quite a strong tide off Milford Haven with keeping the, the baits down because it's no good just putting a mackerel over the side and feeding it out like you see some of the anglers saying, oh no, I haven't got a lead on my trays. And then if they're sending a deep bait down, you explain to them they're actually not down deep. Your, your line is just bowing back up to the surface as it moves across. But some the ones that listen will catch, you know, and the others which are not fishing in it where they should be fishing. So that's the only difference. I suppose we, we use probably a little bit more lead than um, other porch probably. Have you not had a go at fishing with circle hooks yet? We do use circles, yeah. They, I, I mean, the only problem I find with circles, they, they go in the corner of the jaw, but um, when we're trying to get them out quick, to pop them out, you know, it can be quite awkward in, if they go into the bone. That's the only thing I find. With a longer shank hook, I can actually bend them round on a thing because we crush the barbs in a bit as well. We can pop them out pretty quick, especially with blue sharks. It's easier for me, I think, to remove a, a, a standard long shank hook than I can off a circle. But yeah, circles definitely for hooking in the corner of the jaw. You know, there's no doubt they work a treat. One trend I've noticed with blue sharks in particular came to light recently when I was fishing for them off the Isles of Scilly. When I first went there in the early 1980s, we'd sometimes take along the odd fee-paying twitcher, keen to see open oceanic birds feeding up the rubby dubby slick right back to the source at the boat. But last time I was there, that had turned full circle. 
It was the bird watchers who were booking the boats and taking along masses of rubby dubby, with the odd fee paying sharker like me jumping in with them to put a bait down in their slick. Some of them were having near orgasms as birds like leeches petrels and forktail skewers were coming right up to the boat. Not so much here as your business has already taken off, but for others, a potential way of supplementing the shark fishing business. But you, on the other hand, have some very good poor beagles to fall back on as your added bonus. In most areas, with the occasional exceptions such as the odd mako back in the 1970s and possibly a thresher shark here and there, when boats go out fishing for blues, that's pretty much what they get. Are you finding this to be the case on your patch too, or are there areas where you might expect poor beagles and blues to mix? Over the years we've been doing it now, we've got particular areas that I like to um, to fish. It's like tomorrow night I've got a trip and I'll be heading to a particular area where I, got a, I know I'll have a good chance of catching a poor beagle. Um, we've actually boated um, 72 this season, and considering we've only run sort of 38% of our trip, that's quite a high average for, for seeing them, because we're not actually inshore where you'd expect to catch poor beagles. The poor beagles we're targeting are what, chasing the shoalfish, garfish, you know, the, the, the mackerel shoal. So Milford's got that nice nick in there where you've got a good chance of having a poor beagle at the same time. I mean, we've had days, the best mixed day we've had is 11 blue sharks and 9 poor beagles on the same trip for four anglers. And this season, you know, we've had days of 7 of each. So when we do get poor beagles, we do get a, usually get one or two. You sometimes get the odd one, which is on their own, but normally we get, I would say, three or four poor beagles when we do get them, and then, you know, you get a, a lot of blues. So it's nice to see the two species on the same ground, really. On the subject of other sharks, before we open up the poor beagle debate properly, is there anything else we should know in terms of other species, such as makos or thresher sharks? Yeah, I think with the mako shark, Lou has got some, you know, amazing captures i think mean, as a port there's probably some of them the the, the mako shots caught over the years there i think it was um lou and falmouth um i can't remember the skipper's name now vinicu yeah frank, frank, Vin- frank, 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 frank and his other brother wasn't he yeah, robin brother, robin yeah i mean those, those two skippers stand out a mile from any other skippers really for catching makos but for us you know i think milford is still in its you know infancy really compared to the records they've caught off a loo and also we don't know what are the numbers of makos now today and how many actually come into our waters because you don't even hear of them being caught in gill nets at the moment so the last mako recorded on rodden line off falmouth was i believe taken by david turner aboard robin vinicum's boat back in 1971 that's amazing it you know um i heard a rumor one was caught off loo on a small one but then you said to know what the truth is you know someone said that there was a small one caught off loo but thresher sharks, we've actually seen threshers. Our biggest problem with threshers is that we're usually on bassing trips and they're closer into the shore. Where we tend to be fishing, we don't usually see the threshers. Um, often when we've been on bass trips, I think about three years, a big one came out alongside the boat. It must have been 300 plus. It's a very, very big fish. Again, that was only probably within a mile of the shore. Um, some of the bassing boys I speak to, they've often seen threshers. A better area would probably be inside, just inside from Lundy to Wales, you know, which would be on the on more of the bass banks there. To and there have been one or two being caught in a net down towards Buryport, I think. But where we're actually fishing, we're more targeting the the blue with an outside chance. I think if we're going to see a mako, I mean, when I look at mako reports, I, I'm it's always abroad. You look at a Montauk, places like that, where you can get a little bit of information on it and see some of these amazing photos with them jumping. But they're getting them on the blue shark ground. So, in a way, I'm not saying you wouldn't get a mako. The only thing we'd probably have a biggest problem with a mako is the gear that we're probably using. That's that's the only drawback because we're taking anglers out. Some of them are, are keen shark anglers and some of them are the first time doing it. And you can probably guarantee the day you hook something really special, it's going to be when you've got an angler who's never hooked anything that big before on the end of a rod on a size 30 class um, a reel, you know. So... You've got to have a lot of luck, I think. Once you start going over the £300 mark of fish, I think sometimes you've got to be a bit lucky that the right angler's on the rod as well with the lighter gear you're going to be using. The only thing in our favour today, the boats are a lot faster, so if you have to use the boat, you can claw a bit of line back with the boats being a bit quicker than they were years and years ago. But uh, I just cross our fingers that we might be fortunate enough to even see a maker never mind catching one at the moment, I think. I actually did an interview similar to this with Robin's brother Frank Vinicum down at Falmouth earlier this year. He's now 86 and still commercial fishing for mackerel. 
an absolutely amazing fella. Now in part, he puts the decline in Mako catches down to less boats Blue Shark can go to ports like Lou, Mavagissi and Falmouth. In its heyday, Blue Shark fishing put an enormous amount of rubby dubby into the water all summer long, which Frank thinks was in part responsible for drawing many of these big Mako sharks in. But that's not happening now. No, he's probably he's right. I mean, I've always said that. I mean, it's like if you, you put a load of beach anglers on a beach, you know, in a big competition, and this is what you try to explain to people, and if you put a beach of, of 100 anglers on, you're going to catch a lot more different species of fish or a lot more fish than if you've got two anglers on a beach. In the UK, when the sharking was in its prime in the 60s, you know, into the 70s, before the, the massive decline, I'd hate to think how many boats were actually sharking on a weekend. Off Milford Haven, there's probably only one, two boats sharking in a day. If you go to Montauk, where they love their shark fishing, there could be 50 to 100 boats sharking. You know, there's a lot more boats chumming an area. And he's probably hit the nail bang on the head there. There's a lot more chum going out, and it does bring in a lot more fish from the Atlantic, without a shadow of a doubt. So when you've only got one or two boats doing it, you're up against it then, and you really... But if you had, like, ten boats doing it, your chum trail would be... You'd be helping each other in a way to bring in better fish, better quality fish as well in from the southwest approach. So, yeah, he is right. And with with his experience, you couldn't really disagree with him either, could you? What about the first authenticated UK great white? Our sea conditions are perfect for them, though maybe a bit sparse on high-energy food sources such as seals. But there have been reliable, albeit unconfirmed reports, one even by a qualified marine biologist scuba diving in the Hebrides. So what are your thoughts on that score? I like to see things with my own eyes. There's no reason they're not here. I mean, the water temperature is ideal. The water temperature has never been an issue. You hear people say, oh, global warming, that's why they're coming here. I mean, white sharks can stand very, very cold water. Same as mako sharks can stand very cold water. They don't need warm water. So with me, it's more to believe. If I see a photo of it, I haven't got a problem. But when you think we've got mobile phones with cameras, we've got more cameras, when people go shark fishing... There's more cameras on a shark boat than you can care to... <laughs> and not, not to this day have we've ever had proof of a photo of a white shark in our water. And the other thing what you've got to be a bit sceptical about is that the amount of commercial fishing that goes on in British waters, you would think that we'd get one caught in a net or something like that anyway. It's just we haven't seen it. I mean, we've got the food for them. I mean, off Milford Haven, for instance, off the Smalls, we get a large part of killer whales early season, April will actually stop by and, and feed off the smalls on, on, on the seals there. Now, if you've got enough food for, from killer whales, it's not a problem with a white shark. But the other thing was, the other proof they've actually got is a seal that was taken into, I don't know if you're aware of this, that a seal was taken into the seal hospital off Milford Haven. And that was actually attacked off Freshwater West. Now, the reason why they didn't, won't say 100%, is because with a seal who's still alive, they thought he got hit by a boat. When it was... Um, was checked out by a specialist. He said, if you found a seal on a South African beach or Australian beach, 100% white shark attack. Because where it was found, sort of dismissed a little bit, you know. And also, they actually made a model. It was on the, one of the BBC, is there white sharks in our waters? I don't know if you've seen that. And they had the model of the seal and the triangular teeth fitted the bite marks. So, there's no reason that we haven't got them. It's just, I'm a believer in, when I see it with, with a photo then um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be 100%. But at the moment, I would just say I'm a little bit sceptical to say that they're a common fish now, because I don't think they are, you know. But the other side of it is there's no reason why they're not here either, is it? Directly related to, and in many ways even looking like a great white, is the poor beagle shark, which in angling terms grows big, fights hard, and can be found very close into shore, even in quite cold water, as far north as the Shetland Isles. It also enjoys a level of legal protection it never had before. So tell us a bit about your experiences here with these fish. Yeah, we've been having a bit of success with the poor beagle over the last few seasons. Well, that was the main shark really being caught. You had the odd blue, but mainly it was poor beagles that were being caught between Nash Point and down towards um, Oxwich Way. It was an, an area that was known for, for the poor beagle. I mean, the Welsh record came on Scarweather, which was 299. Back, I think, it was in the 90s. I think it was about 91, 92, I think. But um, we seem to be getting quite a few of them now. I mean, I wouldn't say we get massive fish. I mean, Bewes has always had the the big record-breaking fish, which, you know, was like an early season, you know, when the females came in probably to drop their pups. 
But we're getting fish the two hundred pound mark, and you know we have lost bigger fish. I wish I'd known because we had them alongside, but because they're in the water, you know, there's no way you can give a size when they come off. The numbers wise, we've, we do quite well on them. I mean, we've had days we've had nine, and often there's been days, you know, with blue sharks as well. We've had a busy day with nine pearl eagles and eleven blue sharks. But normally, if I was going to target them, I'd probably like to target them this time of the year now, and June is a nice time for them. We tend to find that sort of mid-season, there's a blue shark sort of moving and take whether the pearl wheels move north or wherever they go. I'm not 100% where they go, but this season they've been in and out of the year, which we we've missed. We've we've been catching them then for about two weeks, they go missing again, and then we've had them again, sort of a week, and we've had a few in a week. So I think it's to do with the food they're chasing. Probably they've moved off, and then you're lucky you've gone back out again and you've hit the similar shoals or that the chum has gone past where they've been hunting and and. I think because they are being protected, like you were saying, which is a good thing now, we'll probably see more and more now, which is great, because we've actually seen a lot of very small fish this year I've never seen before, sort of 15-pound fish we've just been pumped. So um, that's a good size. So we're seeing different size fish, from very small fish to mid-sized fish. So I think providing this protection can still go on. We should see more numbers of these, these fish off West Wales as well. And I think not just West Wales, I think... Ireland's getting a lot of them. They, they seem to be popping up everywhere at the moment. You know, I think even off the um, the northeast coast, they catch a Whitby way, isn't they? They're doing well with them. So the numbers seem to be up, uh, which is a really good thing to see. From what you're saying here, I'm right in thinking that you don't specifically target the poor beagles close in shore in the same way that the North Cornish and Devon boats do. Do you think then that it's they or you that is missing the point? Or perhaps there are different approaches to catching the same fish dependent upon where you are? Yeah, I think um, West Wales, I think if we were more to target our reefs inshore, because we've got some good reefs which are like, um, I would say, bues, you know, where we could do it. The biggest problem we have, you know, if I just go out for myself, I probably would try some different things. The biggest problem i got is with being a charter skip, you've got a gun to the back of your head, where it's <laughs> they book your boat and they want results to catch sharks. Now, if you took a lot of the groups out, especially today with the cost of diesel, you know, it's not cheap to go fishing today. So you've got to either have a really keen, dedicated angler that's willing to try different things, which, you know, and there's no doubt off West Wales, there's some lovely reefs in where I've booked to pot in boys and they've actually told me they've seen some good-sized sharks on the inshore reefs. And I think, personally, the bigger fish are going to be running on your doorstep. I think the fish which we're tagging when we're getting the blues are more what we call our mid-sized fish, up to like your 250, even 300 pound if you're lucky. But most of them are between the 150 mark, you know, from sort of 80 to 150 is your general size. But I think if we started fishing from um, a little bit early on, on some of our, more of our reef grounds, I think we probably could get some better sized fish right closer in. But again, you know, it's having anglers willing to put up with the time and, and the effort to, to do that, like, you know. When you're picking up poor beagles, where most of your sharking is done well offshore, you're just fishing for sharks generally with a single catch-all outfit and approach. So if you did decide to look for some of the bigger fishing closer, would your approach change? And if so, to what? Yeah, I think so. You'd be sort of setting your drift up and do like a box drifting where you tag at the reef and then you drift over the reef. Or even if you wanted, I mean, you could hook them up like Vic Hay used to fish from an anchor. I think if you pick the right tides, you, you know, and then have a quick release on the anchor because if you're targeting bigger fish, you've got to be able to be mobile as well. The tackle would have to be stepped up without a shadow of a doubt because you're over a lot of pinnacles of rocks I mean you wouldn't be able to use a 30 class gear with it I think you'd have to go up to the to the 50 pound class and be a bit more of a bullying technique because you'd be in shallower water I mean a big fish would, would boss you around I think you'd be and then the lines going across the pinnacles would just cut through so yeah I think you'd have to seriously look at the gear and basically set up the same way they'd be fishing from off Bude in Cornwall really the same way they do there but um, definitely on the, on the offshore grounds, we haven't got to worry about pinnacles or rocks. All we need out there, basically, is the hull, really, the boat you worry about more than anything else. There's nothing else to really worry about snagging your gear, really. The only thing we've had problems with in the past is, and, we, and we, uh, we've overcome that, is the, the mackerel flying up the line when the shark's thrown it out the mouth. And we've had another shark hit the line and, and snap you off. And a lot of boys thought the traces were, were short, but it's, it's not... What it is, it's the actual bait coming out of the other shark. He's let it go. Another shark's seen the other fish. Got on it. They think it's a frenzy. And they come in and nail them out. So technically, you've got two sharks on the line. And what happens, as the other shark bites onto the mackerel, that screens up the trace and he cuts you through. 
So we worked around that by putting a big, like a, a ball, like a snooker ball, really, crimped on the line. That stops the mackerel. The shark can grab hold of that, and in the end, it sort of gives up the ghost. Either it tears the mackerel off, but most of the time we get a, we haven't lost so many fish. So we were working around certain things, but that's the only real problem we'd have with um, offshore fishing is mackerel going at the line. Where inshore fishing, I think the gear would have to be definitely stepped up if you really wanted a, a, a big pearl beagle, like you know. This year, which is 2011, the EU extended its protection for the poor beagle, banning both the catching and landing of the species throughout its entire area of jurisdiction. Do you feel then that this is going to have any sort of marked effect, not only on the quality of your poor beagle fishing, but all poor beagle fishing in the future? Yeah, I think so. I think there's definitely um, there's more more poor beagles around this season. If you listen to the angle, you know what's being caught, not just on Milford Haven, but in a lot of areas. Hamish up in north of Ireland, he's he's had a lot of pearl beagles this year. Um, I'm not too sure of the stats on the North Cornwall, so you probably know a bit more than me about that. But we're seeing a lot more over the last two seasons. Now next year, we're hoping again that these numbers will step up again, which is going to be good. I'm just hoping that you know, just because the numbers come up, that the commercial fleet don't put enough pressure on it that they open the floodgates again because these fish can't stand the commercial pressure on them you, they only have some like one to five pups per female they don't get sexually matured till about 10 years so it doesn't take a rocket science these fish can't stand being overfished you know they just collapse you know i mean the norwegians done it back in the 60s didn't they you know they they were long lining for them and um it, it actually collapsed in about within 10 years there's hardly any fish there to fish for so i'm hoping that they stick to the guns on this and they leave these fish alone because they are a fish that's definitely will vanish we're not going to see well, you could have one good year on them commercially fishing and it's ruined for like 10 years you know so we're, we're seeing them definitely on an increase next year now we're all looking forward to a, a decent season on them really that's what happened to fabrice in the 1980s but this legislation is europe-wide and supposedly written in tablets of stone though that hasn't necessarily always prevented fishing disasters in years gone by that's right yeah that that was one of the main shark areas in wales if you went back 20 years ago and you said shark fishing that was our probably our, our capital of shark fishing really was Cardigan Bay but again you know skate vanished then the pearl eagles and it's uh, you were saying to me weren't you they haven't seen a skate up there for for a long time so it's sad that you know we let things get to such a state before we actually do something about it you know because I haven't fished for sharks out in Milford Haven yet I can only base my assumptions on what I hear and read so as someone whose summer living depends on these fish what is your assessment of the area as a shark fishery? And is there perhaps yet more to come? I think that the actual charter boat situation is quite dire, I think. Um, there's not many boats working in Milford. And like I said before, the weather is partly the problem with that. It is a hard area to earn a living from because you know, the investment to put on a boat there. And also, shark fishing off Milford even is a 16-hour day for the skippers. So not a lot of skippers want to do that. It is quite physical because it's all catch and release now. A lot of these people who want to come, the anglers that come down to Milford for fishing, want their photo. So as you can imagine, most fish got to go every day. The skipper's got to wrestle them, put them on the lap. Got to be safe doing that. And when you're catching, sort of sometimes could be, you know, an average of like up to 10 fish a day normally. It is a busy day. And you put in some big fish, you know, I mean, a big blue shark, you know, up to 150, sometimes you need 200 pounds. You're making sure that the angler's safe and you're rocking it in the Atlantic Sea. It is, you can't just, go out there and do it and if you have an accident out there it's going to have to be a helicopter job if someone got bit it'd be a serious situation you know my catch is yeah I mean I, I think it's nice that an area was never really pushed so off the back of the boat now I mean um, a lot of people don't know me as Andrew <laughs> they think my name's white water but it's nice that I can look back probably over the years and this, this was a neck of the market with fishing that I can look back and to help put Milford where it is now and you know with the help of especially like dave lewis naturally he he spent a lot of time with me and we put the area on the map i suppose that we can look back and when i finish to say that yeah we the boat's name will will be remembered as as, as a Belfort boat there you know i mean technically i'm not a local man there you know? i mean i'm from cardiff so it all started for me as holiday now i probably you know to set it all up was for holiday down Lou, and then that was moved on to milford haven when i started spending more time and I, there's no doubt working with the skippers from the south coast that I used to fish with, with the likes of Electric Blue and some and going on my holidays on Cornwall has helped me with my sharking over the years. And then also reading books, you know, with 
the likes of, you know, there's no doubt every book is shark and I've probably picked up over the years, Russ Knowles, I've read Pullen's books and all people have caught lots of sharks, you know, uh, and it's all helped you. You sort of take in all their ideas and then you make your own and you, you take bits and pieces of everything. So, yeah, I think you, with fishing, you're learning every day. So when I look back now, I can honestly say, yeah, we, we probably have put it on the map there. And it's a nice situation to have, like, you know. Sharking, obviously, is pretty much a summer pursuit. Though I know over on the North Cornish coast, there are spots almost up to the shore where some of the very biggest female poor beagles move in for a couple of weeks during March and April just to drop their pups. So what is the extent of your season? Right, well, our season starts for June. Now, um, I like June, for instance, because we've got a good chance of seeing the poor beagles. Not so many blues, but as you were saying there, that we solely, you know, maybe looking for blue sharks. We are actually now been putting the jigsaw together because... The thing with Milford Haven, it has been one big jigsaw putting it together. Over the years, you could pick up a book, especially like for for shark fishing book, and bar Cardigan Bay and then, say, the South Coast, there was nothing really. It was like a big void for the area for us to put together. So it's been my own doing, really, of um, finding out when I can actually target the poor beagles. When do the poor beagles run? When do the blue sharks run? So over the years now, it's putting it together that we know... Early scene is a good chance where and a lot of my anglers now are booking my boat early scene for the poor beagle shark than they have for blue sharks. So I always say to them, we'll look at June and then we we'll look at the back end of the year, September into October for another run on the um, the poor beagles. The only drawback to October, you've still got quite a few blue sharks around. I mean, it's not a bad thing because some of the biggest fish are an October fish. But when you're targeting um, uh, poor beagles in June, you know, when you get a run... 90% of the time it's going to be a poor beagle because the water's still pretty cold, the blues haven't really moved into the areas. You might get a big one with a colder water, but you don't get lots of uh, blue sharks that early. And then on the October side of things, you've still got a lot of blues, but you have got your chance of, you know, um, about, I think about just about two weeks ago, we had seven poor beagles up to 180 pound in weight. We had Defra, the, the fish taggings wanted to put a some tags on and it was funny I was explaining to him that I'm waiting for him to come back and we're, we're waiting for the, the poor beagles to show again and it's like funny he said oh you've got to switch you I said no we're due for him to come back and it was funny after a week of the phone call we were back at sea once the weather allowed and we had like <laughs> like the switch went we had seven poor beagles and it's nice that you can actually put your own pattern together and it is it's like a jigsaw that goes together so you really know now that probably June and October is a good time for our poor beagle sharks off West Wales and when you're not shark fishing over the summer months, what happens then? Boat then is, um, it will be sailed back to Cardiff area and we work the Bristol Channel for the cod season, which is through the winter. Um, this season now we're going to start, especially around uh, March through to May, we're going to be running more on the um, smoothhounds because the Bristol Channel probably got some of the best smoothhound fishing in the UK. We had a good year on it last year, so a lot of the anglers now like to have that as a warm-up species before they actually move on to the shark, which is a good little inshore fish to have a bit of fun with, you know. So where are you based at for that? That will be running out of Cardiff, Panath Marina, and it's 15 miles down the coast, down towards Aberthaw Power Station. We fish very close in there, and using crab, you can get some starry smoothhounds and common hounds. We've had them into the £20, which is great fishing for those, you know, great size fish for those fish. Actually... Another of the interviews I did earlier this year was with fishery researcher Dr Ed Farrell, explaining how there is no difference between the supposed starry and common smoothhounds. It's official. They're both one and the same species. I knew you were going to come with that, (laughs) because actually someone came out to, um, not so much on my boat, but then uh, uh, they um, they were taking samples off them, and they'd actually say that there's no difference between the fish, isn't it? You know, it's amazing. they call the starries and the common because you look and they do look like a two different types of fish. One looks more like a browner colour and then you've got your normal starry, you know. But yeah, yeah you're right. Um, they, it was done, I'm not sure, about three or four years ago they were saying it's the same same type of real fish. So yeah, it's something new there, isn't it? Yeah, within species variation. Yeah, yeah. You've probably um, just upset a load of people now because uh, <laughs> they all thought, you know, they're, they're, they're two different species of fish, which... It's amazing because they do look totally different, don't they? You know, you see them, you know, the one is completely, looks browny colour and the other one's got the old stars on this. And will that be made uh, more common now? To... The record fish committees have all been sent copies of Ed's interview. The Welch currently are looking into the one species solution. Scotland, on the other hand, doesn't have any urgency in all of this because they only list the starry smoothhound and the Brits, as ever, are still dragging their feet. 
So it would actually keep the same name, would it? Would it be a starry or would it have to make, make out a totally different name for the fish, you know? The Irish just call them all smoothhounds, which sounds like a good solution to me. But it doesn't matter, really, so long as the science is right. Because, like, no, they're changing the name of the dogfish, isn't it? So, Pete, was it Catshark, is it? Yeah, but I'll still curse and call them all dogs. And with the cod, what's the timing in terms of seasonality and choice of tides? I like the smaller tides, really, because we can get different... Because actually, with the Bristol Channel, we, we tended to head up towards Seven Bridge, so we've got very, very fierce tides up there. We can have, nothing, you know, 12-metre tides. So with the smaller tides, you can actually fish the English side over towards Clevedon or come back onto the Newport side. So you've got more venues to fish, um, which I prefer the smaller tides. We're on the bigger tides. We tend to be up towards Newport, uh, using the sandbanks up there to take deflection off the off the main tide, the fierce tides, so we can tuck in there. So any time from end of November to the probably February is a good time for our cods. And to wind things up, what about a bit of unashamed self-promotion? Things like websites, contact details and the like. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at I mean, the website I run, is uh, whitewatercharters.co.uk. There's um, some video on there. Of, um, we try to quite make it quite informative. We, like, we try and put a bit of shark in, um, tell the details of shark, not just to show you pictures, but a little bit of information about sharks, which um, gives people who haven't got a clue or, or don't know how to, to tackle them with tackle needed and... We try and do our best so people can understand it before they need to phone up. And I mean, some people feel a bit foolish asking me simple questions, but at the end of the day, if you've never done it before, I, I'll, I'll have a chat with anyone, you know, regarding fishing, you know, I quite enjoy it. It's nice to see new people getting involved in it as well. Even before chatting with you, I have to say that I was impressed with the setup and more especially the quality of the fishing out from Milford Haven. Having now spent some time talking through the subject, the sharking here sounds to me to be as good as it gets anywhere currently in British waters. The size as well as the numbers for the blues is particularly impressive, on top of which there is a very good chance of the poor beagles too, which for me is the icing on an already very tasty cake. My thanks then to Andrew Alsop for taking the time to explore the potential of Milford Haven and its sharks with us here today. Mm-hmm.